Please join me in the prayer of illumination. Please bow your heads. God of encouragement, there are so many philosophies and views out there. Give us an understanding of your truth so we can know what is right. May the Spirit of God guide us into all truth. May we also be taught by spirit-filled ministers and teachers of your word. I pray that we will be pure in heart and mind so that we don't block your truth through sin and stubbornness. We know your truth is our foundation for spiritual maturity and for wisdom in all parts of our lives. As we walk in your truth, help us better live out your purpose for our lives. In the name of the one who has saved us, amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from Psalm 14. Join me in listening to the words of the Lord. Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on humankind to see if there are any who are wise, who seek after God. They have all gone astray. They are all alike, perverse. There is no one who does good. No, not one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? They shall be in great terror, for God is with the company of the righteous. You would confound the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that deliverance for Israel would come from Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Jacob will rejoice. Israel will be glad. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament lesson this morning is from 1 Timothy. These are words that are attributed to Paul. The first chapter, verses 12 through 17. Once again, let us listen for God's word to us today. I am grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service even though I was a former blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I received mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The title of today's sermon is All of Us. All of Us. Author and pastor Michael Linval has written of his friend Tom. He used to ride motorcycles every Saturday morning with his friend Tom, and he calls Tom an engineer with a philosophical bent. On one occasion, Tom drew his philosophy of life in a graph-like form, and he gave it to Michael. It started out this way, and it's not unique the way it started. There was a, a straight line, and at the left side was one's birth, and at the right side was one's death, the end of one's life journey. Anybody who's been in a confirmation class in the last few decades has probably done that on the very first meeting, maybe in officer training or in a Sunday school class. You've done that as well. But what was different about Tom's graph was that it had various colorful bands that were stacked on top of that single line. He called them bands of interest. For instance, there was a yellow band, and that represented education. It started at about age three or four or five, and then it became thick until Sometime in one's 20s when you graduated, it didn't entirely go away, but it became thinner because you keep learning, but it just doesn't take up quite as much of your life. If you, get, if you have some children, there was a green space for family. And so when you have the children, the green space, and they're at home, and you have the green space, it's very thick. Eventually they leave home, and it's not quite as thick. They're bands for many people for work, maybe some bands for ho hobbies, maybe for other relationships, for friends, and for some, Tom said, there is a band for religious faith. It seems like a sensible way to look at life, does it not? A kind of a well-balanced stew, a cup of education, a cup of family, a cup of career, a cup of friendships, and a cup of God. But to this way of viewing life, the psalmist would say, it stinks. <laughs> Indeed, literally, that's what it says. The word that Bob emphasized actually, great, perverse, that word is from a root that actually refers to milk that has turned sour. So literally, it stinks. People stink. 
According to the psalmist, there is not one person who is not a fool who does not say that there is no God. People stink through and through. For people like us, it is a thoroughly unmodern thought. For one thing, this view of life knows nothing of the analytical perspective of engineers and graphs. It is pure, unadulterated emotion. For another thing, this psalm locates God spatially. God is sitting on a high throne in heaven, looking down, probably over the top of the divine spectacles, looking at all humanity with a decidedly disappointed frown, creasing the divine face. And then finally, there is not a drop of nuance in this psalm. People are altogether rotten. And if you don't don't get the message here in Psalm 14, then all you have to do is leap over a few pages to Psalm 53, and you'll see this very same psalm, word for word, with the exception of one little word in verse 5. According to the psalmist, not one person is good. Now, is it the same for you as it is for me when I come upon a psalm like this? I say, whoa, now wait a minute and push back a few steps from a psalm like this. My response might be, well, what about the people who are going to be giving blood in our fellowship hall tomorrow between 2 and 7. Is there nothing good in them? Or what about our health care workers, people who have been putting their own health, their lives at risk during the pandemic, and now are being called upon to do this once again, as COVID cases rise among those particularly who haven't been vaccinated. Is there no good in them? And what about our teachers who have having to give their all in so many new and different and ever-changing ways throughout this past year? Is there no good in them? Well, when we come across passages like this in Scripture, I, for one, am very grateful to be a part of a theological tradition that says without apology that when we read one passage of Scripture, it's important that we read it in the context of the whole of Scripture. And when we read Psalm 14, then we must, we must say is that the whole of Scripture does not convey that people are rotten to the core. All we have to do is to turn to the very first chapter of our Bible. Then the book of Genesis chapter 1, we're told that human beings are created in God's image. 
God's divine image has been imprinted upon us and it is irrevocably there, never to be removed. And then when we read these words in 1 Timothy, we find in Paul an intrepid interlocutor. It would be great to see Paul and the psalmist kind of having a discussion over dinner because what Paul writes here is that God has judged me faithful in order that I might serve. So the whole of scripture does not say that human beings are rotten to the core. But when we read all of these passages of scripture together, what we see is that what both the psalmist and Paul and so many other writers of our scripture are trying to help us to see is that all of us, all of us, belongs to God. God doesn't desire to be a band of interest in our life, a cup of work, a cup of education, a cup of God. God desires all of us. God has given the whole of God's very self to us in Jesus Christ that we might have a picture of how it is that we are to bend our lives toward our neighbor and toward God. God hasn't withheld anything from us. And God's desire is that we not withhold anything of ourselves from that which is holy and divine. In, we, in our pondering of all of this, I would hasten to say that among those things that we are not to withhold from God are our doubts. In our Friday night discussion of Yah Jesse's magnificent novel, Transcendent Kingdom, and our gathering around books last Friday, we were pondering all of this. The protagonist in the novel is named, her name is Gifty. She is a grad student at Stanford in the area of neuroscience. She's the child of Ghanaian immigrants and was raised in Huntsville, Alabama, as the author was actually, and in a Pentecostal church. And um, during this novel, what we come to see is that she is studying reward-seeking behavior in mice in order that she might understand more about the brain and particularly the way that her brother's addiction to opioids is mirrored in that behavior. The tension between science and faith propels this novel forward, that narrative there. And one of the devices that she uses is to insert throughout the novel 
entries in her childhood journal. And on, in one place in that journal, she writes this. Dear God, Buzz, and that's the name that she gives her brother in the journal. Buzz says that Christianity is a cult, but that it, Christianity started so long ago that people didn't know what cults were back then. But now we are a lot smarter than they used to be. Is this true? Dear God, show me something that tells me you're real. Throughout the book, Gifty ponders that question. Sometimes she turns more to science, sometimes she turns more to faith, sometimes they're brought together. Much later in the book, as an adult, she says, that question that we ask, what is the point of all this, is the question that separates humans from other animals. If the answer to that question, what's the point of all this, is God, then that comforts us. But what if the answer to the question is, I don't know, or worse still, nothing? You know, in my experience as a pastor, I have found that when people knock up against that question, what's the point of all of this? What's the point of life? That often what happens is that people hold that question back and they actually enter into what Peter Marty calls a panic, faith becoming a panic-stricken affair. And as they do that, and you talk to them more, it seems that it rises up out of anxiety. When anxiety runs high, perhaps maybe when a congregation experiences transition in staff leadership or maybe looks at a, a number in a bulletin and says, gosh, why don't we have more money than that? Or it can come about with a medical diagnosis or something else that happens in life that brings you down low. But when you're able to express those doubts in community and particularly look toward another word that is translated in these words of Paul it's the word pistis, and it's often translated, as it is here in the New Revised Standard Version, as faith, and that's fine. But faith for us sometimes has that sense of giving intellectual assent to a system of beliefs. And perhaps the deeper meaning, commentators say, that really is there is trust. We're called 
to trust. And it is trust, Peter Marty says, that is the anecdote to panic that comes about when we're uncomfortable with our doubts. And so, as we find ourselves in life itself and asking our questions, what these passages of Scripture call us to do is simply to trust. And not to see faith or trust or life or God as simply a band of interest, but to give the whole of ourselves and to not hold anything back from God. To not hold back our doubts, to not hold back our struggles, to not hold back our questions, to not hold back our minds or our relationships, or any part of our lives, but rather to relax into that trust and allow it to embrace us. And when we do, we will not be surprised to find that we have been given a gift, the gift of life itself. And now, in the words that were given in scripture, to the king of the ages, Immortal, invisible, the only God, be all power and honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.